Hi, and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. And it's Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Okay, we're doing that. Merry Christmas. Also, happy Hanukkah, because when we're recording, it's Hanukkah. It is currently Hanukkah when we are recording, yes. We are super far ahead. You know, Christmas is a time for festiveness, and it's also time for Chantel's annual rant about how Christians messed up their symbolism by not swapping this event with the Easter event, um, because it would have worked much better. But Amy's already rolling her eyes, so we're not getting into that this time. And if you want to hear it, you can go back and listen to our Sir Gawain and the Green Knight episode. That was a year ago. I know, crazy, right? I had a moment. And a movie came out about it since then. We'll get to that. Apparently, if you want, it's also about celebrating the birth of Christ that historically likely happened in the early spring. So... Happy Winterval. But you know, what's more closely related to the birth of Christ than the birth of the Antichrist? And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Ho, ho, ho. (laughs) People are here for our great intellectual content. Do you have anything to say about this book, Amy? I want to say that I had no interest in this book prior to the TV series coming out. Really? Yes. Which, much to my boyfriend's chagrin, because he's a big Terry Pratchett fan, and I had already read some Neil Gaiman, and he was like, why don't you read the book? And I was like, yeah, no, 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 I'm gonna watch the TV show. <clears throat> so I watched the TV show, and I loved it. And then I read the book, and the book is the TV show. The TV show is the book. The book is the TV show. They're exactly the same. Like, quasi word for word. To the letter. This being said, if you're somebody who likes books, read the book. If you're somebody who likes TV shows and you're only here because you love our stunning personalities, watch a TV show. If you're someone who likes adaptations and faithful ones, do both. Yeah. And this is a really good one. I would super duper recommend it. So if you have done neither yet, we are going to get into spoilers. It is going to be super spoiler heavy territory as always. And I would recommend that you uh, you don't listen to it quite yet if you don't like spoilers and you want to enjoy this wonderful, wonderful read slash watch. And you know, if you're the type of person who's like, I don't watch TV and I don't like reading. There's this thing called audiobooks. They're like podcasts, but they're one person and not crazy. Really? An audiobook? Tell me more, Amy. <laughs> a book but audio, you say? What will they think of next? <laughs> We're not sponsored by Audible yet. We should really get an Audible sponsorship. I'm just putting it out there. We should get many sponsorships. You really want a Tim Horton sponsorship, it seems. You know what? If Justin Bieber can have Tim Biebs, why can't we have Amy Caps? Those are ice caps, but with Baileys. That just sounds like the worst idea. It's not. It sounds very bad. Yes, this book was written by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. They are two kings. We love them. Neil Gaiman's actually been featured on the pod before with a Sandman episode. Um, You might also know him from, you know, being omnipresent and omnipowerful. He also wrote Coraline, Neverwhere, Stardust. Ocean at the End of the Lane. Ocean at the End of the Lane and like 30 other books. He has a really good Tumblr blog and also uh, just good like response to questions on the internet. Yeah, he's really cool. I really like him. Terry Pratchett, I haven't read. This is actually the only book I've read from him and I have more on my list because he's awesome. He's written 41 books just in his Discworld series, which is insane. Yeah, my boyfriend says that they're really good and everybody needs to read them and Amy, why haven't you read them yet? Blah, 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 blah. Um, But yeah, Terry Pratchett was a 
a charmer of a writer. But you know what? He also just seems like he was just a really good guy. He was. He was like a, just a great soul. He was way ahead of his time with like demolishing bigotry and like he had trans representation. He was all about like making everyone feel like they weren't alone and they had a place and everyone had a place in Discworld and it just sounds really great and I'm into it. Yeah. Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett are your not problematic faves. They're just your faves. Yeah. That's all. Apparently Terry Pratchett knew what the fun story beats were going to be when they were writing this together and like sending their floppy disk back and forth in the mail. So he would try to race ahead and he wanted to write the fun parts before Neil Gaiman could get to them. <laughs> so he was like, I'll, I'll just write all of this and I'm going to write the fun part and then I'll send it back to Neil. So he has to write the boring bits. Yeah, they would post floppy disk back and forth with because they were both living in England at the time. Apparently, they tried to send it over the internet once and it just didn't work. Well, yeah, because yuck. I mean, the internet at that time was yuck. It was like worse than dial-up. Like we grew up with dial-up in the 90s. Worse. It's like, you know, when you go somewhere and like your phone's trying to use 3G instead of LTE or 5G like that, but worse. <laughs> trying to be relatable to the kids here. I don't know if it's working. Yeah, we're so relatable to the kids. That's why we talked about Taylor Swift last week. Yeah, you know, we're talking about Taylor Swift. Now we're talking about a, you know, three-year-old Amazon Prime adaptation of a 90s book. We are the most relatable, TM. We're so relevant. We're hashtag cool. So a brief summary of this book. A lot happens and it's kind of just like complete chaos. Yeah. Um. So I'll just kind of give you like an overview of what our converging storylines are. So our two main characters are named Crowley and Aziraphale. Crowley is the original demon from the Garden of Eden, not Satan, who was like the snake that gave Eve the apple. So it's not like Paradise Lost. It's not pulling from that lore. It's kind of taking from the Bible and just running with that. Not everything's about Paradise Lost. Much to Milton's chagrin. Even though we sometimes want it to be. Aziraphale is the original angel who was supposed to be watching the tree and making sure that they didn't eat the fruit. And obviously that did not work. And then he felt bad and he gave Adam the flaming sword when they had to leave. Which went about as well as you think it did. So they're the main characters in as much as like they're the main perspective through which we see the chaos of the rest of the plot which is hilarious because they're like these eternal immortal beings but they're also like our everyman and they're kind of providing the human element and it's mostly like we're seeing these humans just go off, just be totally off the wall and Crowley and Zero fail or just kind of like spectating they're kind of just like the office workers who've been there for like 30 years and just like do their work but also like you don't exactly know if they actually can do their work kind of like in brooklyn and nine scully and hitchcock kind of like that they are scully and hitchcock if scully and hitchcock were married they do their jobs they're like the angel and the demon that are on earth kind of providing the forces of good and evil but they do it in such like a low-key way <laughs> yeah crowley is just like i made this really annoying highway <laughs> people have to drive on it and it makes them super mad and then Aziraphale comes in and he's like why did you start the French Revolution and Crowley's like I didn't do that I made this highway yeah I feel like the explanations of how Crowley and um, Aziraphale exist in the world and like the impact they have on the world is kind of ridiculous it's like so minimal and that's why they're so fascinated by humans because humans can do so much more than them 
they're like these eternal, pretty much completely powerful beings. Mm -hmm. And they're like in awe that humans are doing way more than they could ever think of doing. Yeah, it's like they're playing a chess game and they're just moving pawns around where like humans are like making the big moves. Yeah. Also, they are very clearly dating. (laughs) You can at me if you disagree, but you will not bring me over to your side. I'd be like that. Wasn't, at least in the movie adaptation, wasn't there a callback to the fact that David Tennant played Hamlet? Or am I imagining this? They did have a scene where they were watching Shakespeare at the Globe. Right. It's quite possible. So what they're reacting to plot-wise is the coming Armageddon. They, as we mentioned, like the world and they don't want to stop living in it. So they're trying to stop Armageddon from happening so they can continue to enjoy things like Crowley's car and Aziraphale's muffins and books and they really like hanging out with each other and probably if there was no Earth to meet in the middle, they would not be able to do that anymore. Yeah. So they don't want the world to end, but all the other angels and demons are kind of like rooting for it to end. They're like, oh, this is part of the ineffable plan and it has to go forward. (laughs) So the word ineffable is ineffable. Like I can't, how do you describe the word ineffable? You don't. You don't. Look it up in Merriam-Webster. It's just a blank page. So we have their plot where they have this vague idea that it's part of the divine plan and they have some idea of the players in this plan and they're trying to influence it, but they're not doing that good a job because they're not that good at their jobs. So the other players that are in this are, we've got Adam. Yep. He is the Antichrist. He was supposed to go to this Satanist cult family, but he got switched at birth by accident and no one figured out where he went. So he just grew up to be a normal kid with normal friends, one of whom is named Wensleydale, which is- A good name. Hilarious, that poor child. Okay. (laughs) He's got a hellhound that came to guide him and the hellhound becomes like a cute little puppy. Can we also make sure that we mention that his name is Dog? Yes, the dog's name is Dog. Yes, love that for us. He lives in a town called Lower Tadfield that has like this hallmark perfect movie weather because he creates reality with his mind. Like that's his antichrist superpower is that he can just kind of warp reality. Which is neat. And that's how he starts bringing about the apocalypse. It's because he starts believing in like every conspiracy theory. He starts believing in Tibetan monks burrowing through the center of the earth and like he doesn't like climate change. So he starts imagining the Amazon rainforest growing up through the towns that have been built in like the destroyed parts of it. And he starts imagining like little green men coming out of the sky in UFOs. And it's just chaos. It's very kid going through puberty, though. It is. It's like he finds this fringe magazine and he's like, yep, that's the way it is. I'm glad that this was written in the 90s and not right now because like Adam would be believing into some weird freaking shit. Well, if he was alive right now, then COVID would be gone because the current conspiracy is that COVID's not real. So that would be nice. That would be nice. Where's Adam when you need him? Where is Adam when you need him? He's probably like 40 now. I hope he's doing well. One of the other players is Anathema Device. She is a modern witch. She is descended from the only completely accurate prophet in history named Agnes Nutter. I love this. I love Agnes Nutter. So Anathema knows that Armageddon is coming because 
it was basically in the prophecies, the nice and accurate prophecies of Agnes Nutter Witch, which is the one copy of the only true prophecy book that's ever existed. And it's been passed down through her family. And it's got a bunch of really specific predictions like Apple, invest in Apple, you know, so her family's kind of rich. But Agnes didn't really know what was going on because she didn't understand it. She could see it, but like she didn't understand. So like apples, yes, they must be having a prosperous crop of apples that year. <laughs> then we also have Newton Pulsifer. He is a witch hunter. He is the only recruit of the Witchfinder army, and he's descended from Thou Shalt Not Commit Adultery Pulsifer, who was one of the people who tried to burn Agnes Nutter at the stake. I say tried because she knew they were coming because, you know, she saw the whole future. And she hid a bunch of gunpowder in her clothes. So that twofold, it let her avoid torture of being burnt at the stake because that would suck. And it also let her instantly blow up everyone who was attacking her. Newt goes to Lower Tadfield because the Witchfinder Army General, who's the only other member of the army, and his name is Shadwell, sees that there's like weird stuff happening there and he wants Newt to go investigate like the strange happenings. So Newt and Anathema get there together and they team up and they are trying to stop the apocalypse. On the other side, we have the four horsemen of the apocalypse, but they're not actually horsemen anymore. They are motorcyclists because horses are not really in fashion as a way to get around conveniently. So they have bikes. It's like that episode of Supernatural where the horsemen are on Mustangs, the car. Like they drive the Mustang cars. Nice. Yeah. That's a clever pun. It is clever. Back when Supernatural was still good. Ha. So of the four horsemen, we have War. War is a war correspondent who creates war wherever she goes so she can like show up in a completely peaceful country and it'll immediately break out into war. She wears red and she drives a red motorcycle. We've got Famine. He is a dietitian and he wrote this like diet book like Starve Yourself to Beauty or something. I think he's also a fast food tycoon so he gets like the health nuts by getting them to not eat and then he gets the non-health nuts by feeding them empty calories so they don't get any nutrients from what they're eating. He wears black and he drives a black bike. We've also got pollution. Pollution's just kind of this dirty entity who just like litters all the time and they like throw their boxes in the river and they like bask in the disgustingness of polluted places. And Like a slob. Just like if you think like the slobbiest slob to ever slob. Yeah. And they kind of turn things sludgy by touching them. They're not one of the original horsemen. They replaced pestilence in 1936 when humans invented penicillin because pestilence was like, okay, well, I guess I'm done then and just retired. Pollution wears white and drives a white motorcycle, but everything else they touch seems to turn black in their hands, like this crown that they get from 80s Amazon. 80s Amazon. 80s Amazon. They order it online, but not online. They mail order a crown. That postal man. That postal man is a character in his own right. Every single person that we see for two seconds in this book is such a character in their own right. Yeah. Finally, we've also got Death, who is a shrouded skeletal figure older than time. He speaks in all caps, and I guess he speaks directly into people's heads. 
Like the Silent Brothers. Yeah, exactly like that. He drives a black motorcycle and he wears black robes. And they're all trying to get Armageddon to happen. So to recap, on the one side, the people who want Armageddon are the four horsemen and the angels and demons who are like buying into the plan. On the other side, we've got Anathema, Newt, and Crowley and Aziraphale. So that does not seem super balanced. No, but then again, on the other side of the triangle, we have Adam and his crew that kind of just like instigate. Yes, Adam's kind of in the middle for most of it and we see him tipping over to like the end of the world team and embracing it because he's like okay yeah the world is bad people have destroyed the rainforest like they're kind of killing the earth and that's not good and he's also got kind of this superiority complex going on and he's like yeah I'm the best I'm gonna make a better world with my friends and he's like controlling his friends with his mind powers his reality warping which is not very cash money of him it's not very cash money of him and they don't like that and he sees that they don't like that and they they're scared and they don't want their parents to disappear so he like realizes what he's doing and he turns it back around and he goes over to the stop armageddon side yeah so basically how it ends is adam and his friends go to the military base where the four horsemen are camping out and they defeat war famine and pollution through swords and the power of love also And then Death's like, okay, you win, I guess. And he just like dips. Yeah. And then Satan is mad and he's going to come up to Earth. And Adam's like, oh, shoot, don't want Satan to come up to Earth. And he knows that Satan is his dad. So he just uses his his reality warping powers to be like, okay, my dad's coming. And then his human dad comes and he's like, what you doing? We got to go home. Yeah. Power of love. Power of love. And that's basically it. And you can tell that it's a comedy because it does end in a marriage and our three relationships are on good footing at the end. So we've got Shadwell, the general of the Witchfinder army, who marries his fortune-telling neighbor. She didn't make it into my summary, but what we need to know about her is she takes no shit and she has a very slow scooter on which she brings Shadwell to the final battle. (laughs) we've got anathema and newt who start dating oh yeah they save the world by boinking how do they save the world again okay i don't know if they save the world per se but i know they boink while the world is breaking that's what i remember i think it has to do with like the prophecies or something they do boink and then anathema finds a second book of the prophecies of agnes nutter and she's like oh i guess the end wasn't like the end like you know when the mayan calendar was supposed to end in 2012 and people were like it's the end of the world but they just ran out of like rock slabs it's like that and she finds that book and she just burns it because you know fuck that the first one caused her enough trouble and then obviously crowley and aziraphale can continue living happily on earth together our third couple who we love yep and then adam and his friends have fun because adam uses his reality powers to get out of a grounding and he goes to the circus and that's the book it's a good book i mean there's so much more that happens than we covered like there's a scene with the nazis and the church at least in TV show. I don't remember the Nazis. Glazier is a mysterious bookseller who attempts to obtain a number of prophecies by buying them from Aziraphale. Mm-hmm. It turns out he's actually a Nazi spy who is mainly interested in finding the prophecies. Oh no. They try to kill Aziraphale but are interrupted by Crowley before dying in a bombing. See, I knew there were Nazis in the TV show at least. That happens. Yeah. So I like the cars in this book. Let's talk about the cars for a second because there are two that are interesting. Yes. There's the Bentley, which is Crowley's car. Mm-hmm. which is basically a person of its own let's be real yeah it is basically on fire the entire end of the book 
Yes. It's like this classic car. He loves it so much. It kind of seems like a piece of garbage. Yeah. yeah. But he loves it so much. Also, any CD that he puts it in turns into Queen's Greatest Hits. Which is a running gag. Yeah. The music in this TV show was great. Why is it on fire? Well, it's on fire because like, he has to get through all the traffic, right? Like he basically turns it into a chariot, right? I remember that the highway was on fire getting out of London. Yeah. Like a circle of hell kind of thing. Yes. It's a classic 1930s Bentley and it drove through an inferno. So this car is controlled by Crowley by his demonic powers. Like it's basically like it becomes sentient because he wants it to be kind of thing. Yeah. And so in the novel, it's a 1926, but in the the TV show, it's the 1930s, and it drives through this highway to get out of London, and that's why it's on fire. And then it keeps driving on fire when it's not actually like supposed to, you know? Like, how is it still alive? I can see that happening because Crowley kind of also has a little bit reality warping powers, but just by like threatening things, like he can threaten things into doing what he wants, like he threatens his plants into being good so that they're green all the time yeah he's he's very much a tough love kind of person i would call that an understatement yes yes more tough less love <laughs> yeah i would love to be able to bully my plants into surviving but it's not working i've tried but yeah there's his answering machines also basically sentient because he hides people in it he hides people in his answering machine yeah at least in the tv show he does explain expand I haven't watched it in a while. So in the TV show, I don't exactly remember the book because somebody decided to lend the book to somebody else who didn't give it back to us yet. This is me subtweeting my boyfriend. Hey. In the TV show, at at the very least, Crowley has these like two demon people who are like trying to tell him like, well, we have to do the apocalypse thing. And Crowley's like, I don't have the fucking time for apocalypse thing. Like I have better shit to do. I have plants. I have other machinations. He has other shit to do. So essentially when they're like being on like, we gotta do demonic stuff. He's like, uh, no. And he traps them in his voicemail. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. He does not like when people tell him what to do. No. Which is not great for someone who has a job. That happens a lot. I find like, you know, he does this with his car. He does this with the answering machine, his plants. And even like with Azeraphil, like he's not necessarily friendly with him, but Azeraphil just like puts up with a lot of it, you know? I think Azeraphil knows who he is as a person. Yeah. And he accepts that. Yeah. He's like, all right, you're just going to be a dick. That's fine. Which I, I like a lot. But yes, back to cars. Newt's car is something else. What's up with Newt's cars? It has three wheels. Why does it have three wheels? I don't fucking know. I think he doesn't have money for four. Like it's a tricycle type car. Oh no. Oh dear. And he keeps falling apart. Which I think is funny because like you expect him to come from like this line of witch burners and stuff. And he's just like the nerdiest, dorkiest person in this entire thing. Little dweeb. Absolutely. A dweeb. There is a lot of vehicle humor. There is. Because I don't know her name, so I'm going to call her Madame Trelawney, but Shadwell's neighbor. <laughs> Madame Tracy. Madame Tracy has the scooter. And when she's bringing Shadwell to Lower Tadfield, there's like such a long description of this tiny scooter, like putt, putt, putting along <laughs> the highway. As we see all this apocalyptic events happening around 
around the rest of the story. It's just like, yeah, they're still going five miles an hour. That's still happening. Anyway, back to the other action. Yeah, the juxtaposition of big things happening with like first world problems kind of thing is hilarious. Like that's the thing. We have this witch finder who's like, I'm going to go and like find this witch and I'm going to get this book and I'm going to help save the world because that's my job because I couldn't fucking deal with electronics or whatever he was trying to do and kept failing at. (laughs) You think he's going to be like this great person but no he has first world problems with the fact that he can't fucking drive his three-wheeled car you know and it's just like it keeps doing stuff like that like you have you know the antichrist but he's just like this only child whose parents coddle him yeah and then there's like oh we're gonna raise this child to be the antichrist and we're gonna name him warlock and then it just turns out he's like some kid with two biological parents in lower tadfield and he's just like this regular kid and they're trying to raise him up to be the antichrist and he's just like i don't care man he's just like a typical american kid because that's the thing like warlock is american yes they were supposed to send the antichrist to america and that did not succeed nope and azir failing crowley we're going to try to influence him to like make him less satanic so they were kind of nannying this kid and he was just this regular kid just an everyday kind of kid and the fact that the hellhound is this little puppy named dog Mm. and the fact that there's like these tiny little relationships i think that's the main thing that's my main takeaway from the book is that the book is about armageddon but it's not really about armageddon it's about the relationships that are happening while armageddon is also happening yeah like the Crowley and Aziraphale relationship, Adam and his friends, Newton and Anathema. There's Shadwell and Madame Tracy. All these little human moments are really the crux of the book. And then Armageddon, as huge an event, as earth-shattering an event, as like reality-ending event as that is, mm-hmm. is kind of the backdrop. Yeah, I agree. It's like this everyday kind of thing, but it keeps like having... These tiny little people with their tiny little problems, which I think is very Earth-like, you know? Yeah, and I think that's why Crowley and Aziraphale like it so much, because it's about the Earth problems. It's about these little Earth problems with these little Earth people and their little Earth lives that are just a hundred years, and these angels have been alive for 6,000 years, and they're just enjoying it. Yeah, and it's funny how they all interact. Like, Anathema gets, like, hit by Crowley and Aziraphale in the car, and then she leaves a book in the back, and then Aziraphale reads all the book, and then uh, Shadwell and Madame Tracy connect with Aziraphale through, like, possession of Madame Tracy by Aziraphale. Like, they're all, like, weirdly connected together. Like, Anathema and the kids, they think Anathema's really weird because she's living in her aunt-grandmother's house or whatever, and it's a really creepy witch house. And I really enjoy this, like, interconnectedness, you know? Yeah, it's like a better love, actually, (laughs) where all the stories are subtly woven together. It's like love, actually, yeah. And, like, Crowley and Aziraphale were in charge of doing the baby switcheroo like they didn't deliver the baby to the uh, they screwed it up so bad they screwed up so bad well it was crowley crowley was in charge of it yeah. i don't think they would charge an angel with putting the antichrist in the correct hands fair but even then like Azarephil's not like ha you failed he's like dude you had one job <laughs> and i think that's the entire point of like the ineffable plan that's discussed is like mm-hmm. you know there's this big long game but like it nobody cares about the long game you're only there for the minutia right yeah what did i just read that was like this 
oh, freaking this Michael Grant trilogy that was the follow-up to the Gone series, Monster Villain Hero, but they talk about like, do we have free will or is it all just like some machinations of this larger being? And they end up with, it doesn't really matter. Well, that's not what they end up with. They end up with a real answer that is not as good as if they had just left it open-ended. But before that, they get to like, it doesn't matter because humans aren't capable of behaving in a way where we don't believe we have free will because when we're in our own lives, we feel like we're the ones making choices. So we have to make the choices that we are going to make. And whether they're our choices or if they're like a result of our previous actions or they're a result of some grand plan, like it doesn't matter to our individual minds. Yeah. Because we have to act the way we would act. Yeah. And they do talk about like the grand plan and how the fact that it's ineffable is like, okay, well, we're just going to do what we're going to do then. Yeah. Because that's why Aziraphale and Crowley have been trying to stop what is supposedly the grand divine plan. And the other angels and demons are like, no, we have to let it go ahead because it's important. And then at the end, Aziraphale and Crowley were like, okay, well, we stopped it. So was it really the divine plan to get Armageddon to happen? Or was us interfering part of the divine plan? And the point is, like, it doesn't matter that much because what happened happened and we get a fun ending in a fun book. Yeah. And like uh, Zeraphil's bookshop burns down and Crowley's Bentley is destroyed because he was only keeping it functioning with his demon powers. But once everything's like all done with the Armageddon not happening, like Adam puts everything back in its place. Except not quite because Zeraphil's bookshop used to be filled with misprinted Bibles and now it's just all first editions of children's books. And I think that's cooler. That's so much better. <laughs> so much better. And like the Bentley's back together. Like all this well that ends well. And I think what I like the most about this book is that you go through all of these world ending possibilities and it's fine everything's fine in the end like it's a happy read yeah it is a happy read and it's anticlimactic because it's just like sure the kids like stab famine and war and death and they're like i believe in peace i believe in a clean earth and like yeah, sure there's a big fight and stuff but it's so tongue-in-cheek that it doesn't really feel like that big a deal yeah and then at the end the thing is just like adam decides not to end the world yeah and and that's how they fix it. Yeah. Like he just decides that the world's not going to end today. It's just like, it's just fine, you know? Yeah. It's like, okay, there's going to be this huge showdown and then everything's going to be different. And no, everything's exactly the same as it was before. And it's so nice to read a book that's not all about the drama, you know? Yeah. I've read so many books, obviously, because of the degrees. <laughs> And so many of them just like try to give you the biggest gut punch at the end, you know? Yes. Or like it just keeps like pushing you down as a reader. Like you like this character? Too bad. They're dead now. And you wanted it to go this way? Well, too bad because everything is going to shit. And it's like this book is not like that at all. It's like it has a clear plan. It's effable. It's clear. I understand it. And at the end, it just ends with things going on. And like there's no big death. There's no, you know, all of your characters are happy and content and there's a nice little bow on it and that's nice that's fucking nice it is nice it's just good omens it is good omens yeah oh it is good omens i'm a little concerned about the fact that they're having a season two of the show are they apparently because it got wrapped up in such a neat little bow and season one was the whole book six new episodes and expected to be released in 2022 
it ended. The series was the book and it was supposed to be a mini series and it covered the whole book and the book wraps up and the series wraps up and it's happy. And I just kind of don't want them to like not be happy anymore. Hmm. Okay, so Terry Pratchett's former assistant and executive producer said, Terry and Neil always knew that Crowley and Zerophil wouldn't remain content to appear in only one story, and long harbored plans to expand upon their adventures. Terry would have been delighted with how they brought their characters to life, and just as delighted as I am that a second season is now underway. Apparently it's six episode. I don't know. I think I would only be happy if it was just like them continuing their life. Like I would happily watch just them continuing their mundane lives and saying funny things. Oh, that's sweet. This is what Neil Gaiman has to say about it, and I think it's important. I got used to the bits of the sequel in Good Omens. That's where we got our angels from, from like a different book they worked on. Terry's not here any longer, but when he was, we had talked about what we wanted to do with Good Omens and where the story went next. And now, thanks to the BBC Studios and Amazon, I get to take it there. I have enlisted some wonderful collaborators, and John Finmore has come on board to carry the torch with me. There are so many questions people have asked about what happens next, and also what happened before to our favorite angel and demon. Here are the answers you've been hoping for. So it seems like, you know, Neil Gaiman's very invested and happy about this, and I trust Neil Gaiman with everything and anything. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be good. I'm going to watch it. I'm just, I liked how it ended. I really liked the how it ended and I think the book still stands on its own in the same way but I think it's interesting to see what could have been you know mm-hmm. if we had more time yeah that's true if we only had time no no we're not crying today <laughs> I'm in too much pain to cry <laughs> so yeah I don't really have much to say about the book aside that I really really enjoyed it and that's very rare for Amy whoa did we both like a book that we we're covering on the podcast yeah I know right <laughs> and it just it brought me joy like when I read it I was in that weird slump after school where you don't really want to do anything like you don't want to read yeah. but I, I had seen the tv show so I knew where the story was going and I just felt it was refreshing to read and I like refreshing books yeah it's like a cozy warm hug yeah and all the characters are fun it's a cozy warm hug book about the end of the world yeah and the characters feel like friends like to each other to you like it feels like Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett are sitting in your living room and they're just telling you a story and you're just like whoa what happens next and they're like wait for it <laughs> you know like I'm oh boy do I have a story for you like that's how it feels <laughs> when you're reading it and I really enjoy that concept yeah I totally agree so we love this book obviously but I still think we should read it. Um, on a scale of Beelzebub with the little flies flying around them and being all buzzy and gross to Adam sitting in Lower Tadfield in his Hallmark Christmas movie house with his little hot chalky. How would you rate this book? I would rate a dog. Dog. <laughs> because dog is a hellhound, but he's also a lap dog. And <laughs> I like that the book is kind of fiery, but in the end, just wants to cuddle. Aww yeah that's very nice that's how i would i would rate it how would you rate it good rating amy i i would rate it wensleydale uh yes because it sounds like it's going to be this like grand thing but then when you get into it it's just like this cozy little book version of a kid from lower tadfield having a great time yeah i think this would be a good book to read with your kids like you can cut out the adults parts but i think it's a really good read to like get kids into like fantastical reading yes my other recommendation for like kids getting into fantasy is another neil gaiman book Coraline. that was one of the things that got me into 
into like fantasy and sci-fi books remember when i first saw Coraline, and you were like adults always think it's really scary and i didn't think it was scary at all maybe you're just a kid at heart maybe maybe that's what it is but it was good yeah it's really great the book is totally different from the movie unlike this adaptation which is exactly the same yeah but i think you know we wish you a very belated hanukkah and a merry christmas and a happy holidays for those who do not celebrate the judeo-christian holidays happy solstice yeah. happy kwanzaa happy yule happy the day that happens to come by once a year happy birthday if it's your birthday oh my gosh if it's your birthday i am sorry but also <laughs> happy birthday <laughs> happy new year coming up yeah i think we've covered all of them we hope that you got to spend time with your family if you wanted to and if you didn't want to we hope that you were able to get out of those plans and overall you know we're gonna be here uh again in the new year we have some more chill episodes coming your way for a little bit and then we're gonna come back at you with some hard-hitting facts about mrs dalloway probably the wars by timothy finley yeah we're gonna hit him hard with the uh, post-traumatic stress disorders so for now enjoy these fun little episodes that we have coming up and uh we hope to see you in uh, the new year if you like this episode we would love if you gave us a five-star rating on itunes or podchaser we love to read them we love to hear from you you can also just contact us directly at unsighted pod on instagram or twitter and just you know give us a shout give us a happy holidays yeah and uh if we were in your spotify wrapped please tag us because wow i feel like a celebrity oh my god i was so happy to see those it was so exciting i'm like that's me i am in your spotify wrap no idea wow <laughs> people listen to our voices in their ears on purpose wow yeah thank you for that you you really made our days so those of you that have already shared those that haven't we are looking forward to seeing what you throw our way so thank you for listening thank you for joining us on another wild year of the podcast and we hope to see you again in two weeks and as always we're excited unavailable spooky stories? Do you like true crime? Are you a fan of the southern United States? If so, and if not, you should listen to Haunted Hospitality. Hosts Robin and Zoe are two spooky gingers doing deep dives into southern stories. At Haunted Hospitality, we cover all things haunted and southern, borrowed in blue, till till death death do do us part. part. We've talked about the ghosts of the Biltmore Estate, the Wolford family axe murders, and many many more. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Or wherever else you can find podcasts. We're probably there. Oh, hey, we should probably mention that we're friends. Are we, though? As two acquaintances, we get up to fun shenanigans. And share something Southern in every episode. As two Southerners. I'm not a Southerner. We are uniquely qualified to share these stories with you. So give us a listen. Subscribe and review. And always remember to stay spooky. spooky.